My name is Jack Oway. And I am Jay Oway. And we welcome you back to another episode of Like Dragon, Like Sun. We had a bit of a break. Yeah, we're a father-son podcast, and uh, we sometimes just take time to go and do, you know, family things. And yeah, uh, yeah play D&D rather than just talk about it. So if uh, you're a regular listener and wonder where we've been, well, yeah, you know, went out there rolling some dice. Of course. Doing some stuff. Playing getting some, some games. Getting some some uh christmas presents uh some minis yeah played with and painted and on the table and doing stuff so yeah we've we've been recharging our batteries and uh and you know i was thinking uh in the post sort of christmas uh you know afterglow as we (laughs) sit there looking at our massive piles of presents right you know what do you do uh as a dm if you suddenly realize oh heck I might have given the party too much treasure. Uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes it comes to mind. I remember we mentioned this a little while back. What happens if you give a player a magic item that's a little bit too powerful, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah, so what happens if if it's not just like, if it's not, you know, okay, even if we are playing, uh, I say, a pre-written campaign, often within that there are sort of stated amounts of treasure and i have to sort of ask myself sometimes do i just give all this to the players or do i just give a, like a smaller piece of it to the players or now it's like okay you know what i'm gonna give them all this and then see what happens or if you're doing your own pre-written stuff sometimes maybe you're like okay and you know you find you know and maybe even roll on the table who knows maybe you've got a little thing sort of figured out and you suddenly are like oh man i just gave the party ten thousand gold pieces what to do right what do we do now well yeah i mean not even mentioning how what does ten thousand gold pieces look like physically or, yeah, how, how do you move that um but or let's say they've been adventuring for a while and we've got a bunch of little handy dandy savers i don't know maybe they're using a bag of holding i don't know what but let's assume they've they've got some means and actually this is even another part of the question of what we can talk about today is as a party as a dm how are we managing large sums of coin? What are we doing with large sums of coin? Should we even have large sums of coin in the game? Um, I've just started a new campaign where it seems like at least three of the players are highly motivated by coin. Um, I don't know what they're out to, to, to build or buy yet, but they're looking for money. Mm. Uh, and we just found a chest full of, uh, you know, a thousand silver and a thousand copper. And again, I don't know uh, true volume wise, how much space, 2000 coins takes up but it seems like a lot if if i had to think about like yeah or maybe not maybe if you think about how many how much space does 10 a thousand pennies take up i I don't know if that's all that much how impractical it is to pay with pennies too like come on there's got to be something we can do here to make it a little bit more comprehensible yeah thanks dm for giving me so much copper yeah uh in my games the way i run currency is that i make it a new system i'm not often i'm often like not really happy with gold silver copper um i find it sort of doesn't really work um and so typically if i have multiple nations like my previous campaign um they'll each have different ways they do bases for currency um or like they'll they'll have coins or certain things for it and they'll the conversion rate was just 
basically what electrum is to cop uh, to silver, right? Um, where the humans had electrum, which they called cobalt, and the elves used silver. And I found that that silver amount was more understandable to me, maybe living where I do live. Maybe gold makes more sense to people who live in places where less inflation, you know, where money is less big, you know. Um, yeah, so you're, you're sort of saying like, or like because, larger numbers. because of our uh, our Hong Kong dollars and the, sometimes when you're traveling. To me, silver just makes sense. Like you know, the, the, the lowest the note numbers. is like a, is yeah, 10 well, silver. Exactly. Know? And often we even still go to other countries where that number is even more inflated. If you travel sure. throughout Southeast Asia and stuff, it's quite easy to find places where hmm. the, the local currency, um, is, yeah, it's thousands and thousands of things just for buying a, you know something small um so yeah so then you have to you know be asking yourself well how do i how do i i you know transact in you know ten thousand copper coins mm. i once had a, a homebrew setting which and i i know i would never have thought of this homebrew setting you know like 20 years ago but i had this idea that there was like a, a magical gnome guild that basically had everybody's they were like had everybody's banking sorted out and it was all done sort of through this you know magically touching gems that that right, could transfer right. credits essentially around and and that would actually i think be really great for an eberron type game um i can see a system like that working really well and yeah mm. you could have bank accounts and i suppose i mean harry potter had a banking guild that was run by wasn't that run by goblins or something yeah. And, uh, and there's a whole controversy over that recently. And the, you know, kind of, you know, introducing that sort of level of economics into your game uh, certainly adds a sort of flavor, a dimension. But as mm. a DM, it suddenly becomes, I don't know, it, how much fun is role play when you're doing accounting homework for uh, right for your session? I don't know. It, it, it does seem a little boring to me, but, you know, the question is, okay, why I've given the party all this gold. What, what are they going to do with it? Like, let's assume they have some means of storing it, transporting it, banking it, moving it around, holding it safe someplace. Maybe there's some place they can give it for safekeeping. Mm. Maybe they can even, I don't know, gain interest on it. Or maybe it gets just ever a little bit smaller all the time because they're paying protection money on their thing so a couple of questions i guess came up my mind first of all what if as a dm you think you've given them too much how do you help reduce their wealth to a more like his reasonable level um i guess like my first worry on that my first thought that comes up that i think a lot of dms might go for is just basically you know steal stuff from the party right and i know as a player having my stuff stolen really sucks i hate that so much so Mm. what other options do we have like if you were to come up with something what would what kind of things would you do to your party rather than just taking stuff away from them well i think it's for me it's getting it out the jump right but if we're in a scenario where i've uh uh-oh just given them too much i think the real question is how do they carry all of it you know what do you, how do have the, how have they just obtained it? Are they in a dungeon and they just found this? How are they going to carry 10,000 yeah, right. GP? So we just slayed a dragon and they've got a massive coin hoard. Well, they find the hoard. Okay. I'd like to see you take an entire cavern's worth of gold out with you. How are you doing that? You yeah. Know? Are you it setting doesn't up, just go in the magic inventory. Are you setting up rail carts with like, you know, you're loading up buckets and buckets full of, uh, sure. 
of gold and pushing it up into a wagon train of some sort. And if you, and even understand, if you were, then you'd still sure, have to be okay. paying everybody involved in that process. And they're going to be pinching as much as they can off of you as sure. well. But if you think about what a dragon's hoard is, it really is just a bunch of stolen money, right? The dragon yeah. didn't make this money themselves. And so I'm sure the local town or whoever you've saved it from in a scenario will be like, well, I think this was my money and my valuables. Could you give it's, it back, please? Exactly. So, yeah. So maybe what there, kind of hero are you? And maybe you as a hero, it? there is a redistribution thing sort of going on. So, yeah, I, I would classify that as, you know, some sort of request or demand for... Uh, a redistribution of especially by any wealth. local government or town they'd be like yeah oh, there'd be, if sure there was a baron or a mayor or, they'd be like this is our jurisdiction uh you get your cut adventures whatever. but we it, this is the town's money this was stolen from people in right. town or if there's a, a a titled nobility or something they may very quickly stake claim are, are you to sure it. that money is yours you know he says pointing at his guards and whatever yeah. right um, and then, yeah, may also still have the good of the people at heart and will be wanting to redistribute sure. it in a, sure. in a way that is, you know, fair and effective. Something maybe that the party's incapable of doing, frankly, because who wants to role play fairly distributing, mm. you know, and, 100,000 gold pieces right, to a community? Sure. Instead of having that 100,000, they let this, you know, whatever government, baron, whoever handle it, but maybe now they have a deed to a house or a manner or an estate in this location that they right. can set up a base so, well, of operations that, that's, I think very much favor, the second, letter of recommendations, the second option like is that. basically offering Poor to trade types. the players yeah okay so you have all this money and with kind of a quick hand wave you explain to them that uh, they're approached by somebody offering property they go and check out the property and this is what it looks like. And maybe it's run down. Maybe it needs a lot of work. Maybe they can invest into it going forward. You could say, okay, well, these are the costs for upgrading your stronghold, your hideout, your, you know, your keep, whatever it is that it, you, you've got that you want to be uh, making it cooler. And there has been rules for that sort of over the ages. Um, I did a little quick dig going back found a really fun little table in the first edition uh dungeon master's guide i can't find anything in the more current uh or more recent uh issues of of the dungeon master's guide that have uh, as good of table but it basically gave construction costs for a castle everything like every arrow slit was like three gp every you know you you could have all sorts of like pieces you could add in um you know catwalks and ditches buttresses and battlements everything had a price tag on it uh, barbicans and hoardings if you wanted a gatehouse made out of stone well that was two thousand gold uh you know if you wanted to put stairs in there were you know 10 10 uh, gp for a three foot rise uh you know and the, they had square towers and round towers and all sorts of things with a, a gp cost and and you could basically let players then, you Build know, a crazy yeah. mansion. <laughs> they want to draw up on some graph paper what their little castle fort thing looked like and where they put stuff. They could do a, a sort of a costing for it. If they wanted to. And then, of course, you and could add, a, party will want you could to add a, bit, a bit more air uh, to that. There's still some, you could have some more rules for excavation costs and then how much it's going to cost to hire staff. And if you're into playing that sort of game of how you run 
an establishment like that, that could be a really interesting way. And then you could actually just set a, a price. You could say, yeah, while you're adventuring now, you guys need to come up with X thousand GP a month to cover maintenance costs. Mm. And I, I played an Eberron campaign that was a little bit different. We had an airship in it that we were upgrading and it was sort of the same. We had like a wish list of all the parts and pieces that we wanted to put on it, things that were broken that needed to get fixed. When we got in fights, things that got damaged that then would have to get repaired. Um, we had a monthly upkeep cost on it and we would reinvest in it. And we were using um, for that one, um, uh, the, what's it called? Incorporated. Acquisitions Incorporated. Acquisitions Incorporated. Thank you. They had a quite an interesting set of little rules for strong rules for well for how to upgrade your like your yeah your business base or, your business and base. I think in things. Acquisitions Incorporated it is like a business like you have to run yeah, a business. It, well, but and I suppose that's kind of what we were doing with running the ship and and I, this is what you would do if you were setting up a stronghold. Mm. It adds that sort of little and maybe Acquisitions Incorporated becomes the way you you sort of go with thinking. Okay, if the players are playing you know, with this sort of much money, maybe maybe we do need to run a little fantasy business of sorts uh, and, and start working at it, looking at it in terms of investment and how they grow their business with it. Mm. Yeah, um, that's definitely, I think, a way to approach it if you're, a party's interested in that sort of upkeep and especially if you've established them as now, they kind of are a, found, a bit of a found family that can live together in a certain space for a longer period of time, right? Yeah. And once that has been established, and that level of trust is there, if, yeah. then it's a if, little bit if more If you're traipsing across a, a very large, you know, uh, world, if you're a multiverse traveler or things like that, I don't know, maybe having a base of operations doesn't make as much sense. Mm. Um, and then what do you spend the money on instead? Sure. Yeah, um, well, that's a good question. I mean, again, going back to the idea of, is this money what they want, right? Why do they want money? question I, I can they spend I, it i'm on almost to a point sometimes in D D games where i'm like yeah i don't know like money money doesn't mean much to me sure. as a well, player okay well think except about it except okay. if it means we can buy magic items well that's one thing i'd argue a better thing to do rather than just magic items is ask your player first what would your character do if they got a large sum of money right what would they do well what, what would they do with money you know what is the purpose they seek money if at all right um, some character might be some monk and be like, I don't need money, man. I'll give it to the poor. Um, <laughs> Whereas the uh, the fighter might be... Or the rogue. Their answer might be full plate. Sure, or whatever. I want right? plate armor. And those are blimmin' <laughs> expensive. I'll, I'll yeah, say yeah. that. 400 when, GP and the for... wizard, the wizard might just be like spell components, dude. Like sure. These things do not oh, come yeah. cheap. Sure. You know, or even the cleric or the druid it might be like, people are like, oh, hey, you'll just cast another greater restoration for us, right? And be like... You don't think you don't think diamonds just grow on trees? Right. No, no, they do not. We and have if, to buy the diamonds. And if a player isn't really sure about how they'd use money, look at their background if they have one of their character, and look at their ideal, right, or a bond. Yeah. You know, maybe they do have a mentor. Do they pay dues to their mentor? Would they send money regularly? Do they have sure. family members? Would they send money to family members? You know, in this fantasy world where most people aren't super uber rich adventurers, how do you send money? Do you look after people? Like, do you have an obligation to others in your life to support how do you, them? Who do you trust, like, and how do you send like a chest? If full your of money? ideal is knowledge, what would you? How would you spend your money to attain that end? Yeah. Right? Because ultimately, money is that means to that end in many places, right? Yeah. For many people, 
Um, and well, so almost the money that, that like, you have as an adventurer as well, if you were to go back and find your, say your family living in a, you know, a, a very, you know, basic urban sort of environment, uh, you know, in a little house of some sort, and you suddenly drop here, mom, dad, here's a hundred thousand gold, uh, you know, or even a thousand gold or, or whatever. That's a game changer, right? Like mm. that's a real, Oh yeah. I mean, if you've ever seen Critical Role, and sometimes yeah, the yeah. party will dump like it was well, however many platinum, and they'll be like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa oh my god, the life-changing money!" You yeah. know, like think like the amount of power that there is there. But I'm running a completely different game very soon, where it's brutal. Most people live in complete, almost complete destitution and poverty, um, and there's very few wealthy elite, right? And in that circumstance, the players probably aren't amongst the few wealthy fl- few, and uh, there, I might have them force them to keep an eye on all of these factors that require money, and that ultimately, much like real life, we don't adventure for profit. We adventure to keep up with our living expenses, right? We do this job because if we don't, what what, we, what do we do? We go homeless. We have nothing, right? Yeah. And so it's almost putting that pressure that they need to adventure, otherwise they fall into ruin. You know, not yeah. only compelled by the story and the mystery, but because if they don't take these jobs that push their morality and put them into dangerous situations, then they're going to end up on the streets and dead anyways, probably. I mean, that is the scary real thing that is work in a sense. And we don't really think of adventure as work in the classical sense in D&D sometimes. And many times we don't want to. Many times it's like, mm, I'm not really comfortable. I want to adventure because for glory and for these things and money's not really a worry, you know. I, but I want to try to explore that other side. Yeah, and it's interesting because that is there. Like when you are building your character, it often asks lifestyle and you can sort of choose, you know, are you sort of the person who lives in a modest lifestyle or is it sort of wealthy or is it aristocrat or, you know, and, and it sort of gives you the lifestyle behind it. But we don't, rarely does that mechanic ever show up in game. We've talked about in the past about, you know, if you're running a downtime, you could charge your players sure x amount just depending what kind expenses. of their lifestyle yeah. is you'd be like oh yeah i live a wealthy lifestyle you know well that's two gp a day and so you have 10 days of downtime so just mark off 20 gold that you've burnt right and not just living in tavern to tavern across town to town i mean some campaigns look i've had many campaigns like that their players have no permanent living space besides somewhere they might go to from time to time right a little fast travel hub other than that like where they can teleport from for instance um but other than that, they just like sleep in taverns and like be like, "How much is it?" Oh, I don't know, two two silver piece per room. Yeah, you know, that makes well, sense. I, I you know, suppose I know, just guessing, right? Yeah, and it, the thing is, again, this is a, a situation where taverns and things like that, because the players have got thousands of gold, they just tend to go, "Yeah, okay, I just give them like whatever three gold for the all the mm. rooms and the food or whatever," and like totally overpay. But they don't really care because a, it's fantasy money, but b, also. They have so much of it and little to spend it on and a, a total expectation that they're going to continue to bump up against more and more and more treasure. Um, so unless they have, unless you in-game set up some sort of cost system, something that is a constant draw upon the player's money supply, there's like a real, you can sort of get it so that each player has got this sense for that their character needs cash they need they have, they've got expenses oh, yeah. to cover start it where they're like oh i, I need I, to pay for this yeah. i need to pay for we're, my siblings medicine i need to play for whatever right make it i mean especially in my one where i'm going super grim dark style like you yeah. know disease 
all these things, you know, cost, what's the cost of living, you know, and adventuring is the only way you can really keep up with that. I mean, maybe you do have a job, but it, the, the reason you're adventuring now is because it certainly wasn't paying enough. You know, you got the skills to do something else. And then, and then it goes beyond just looting the, the treasure. You're suddenly like, okay, can we harvest the monster? You know, do anything to sell this, you know, I do all sorts of nature and survival checks along the way to see if I can find any rare plants. And suddenly dumping 10 GP on like a healing potion. Okay, hold up, hold up, hold up. Let's talk about this. Let's make our own healing healing potions. Can we like, can we source the material from scratch? Do I have to? Again, some games won't be like this. Some players don't really want to think about a million coin. No, no, you're you're playing quick one shot sort of things with your friends. It's far more like, yeah, you've got what you need to go and let's go. And we almost like skip the the price point on things and you just sort of... Because it's the Get hardest math, like. really, like to do of all, and it's it's a little too much to where it's like, ugh, you know, um, I don't really want to think about this. Let's just guesstimate it, right? When really we we go through with all the other math because it's flavorful. Why can't pricing math and all these other little mathy bits be flavorful as well, right? I mean, think about combat. Really, it's mostly just math, right? And we don't skip that math because we like doing that math, and it's got little dice and it's rolling and adding and. We feel like we're doing big hits, but when we're calculating the cost of things, um, most of the time, just because we don't know, there's not enough rules out there, right? And and how can you establish and f- play test and what what feels right for how much uh, uh, torches should cost and rope and all these adventuring gears? And at some point, I mean, I I'm still struggling with this. Like, I know how much an average attack should do, but I have no idea how much average yeah. things should cost. Everybody has become like, like an expert in damage output. Sure. But they like... No one min-maxes how much, you know, magic although, items. Although, and, and to be honest, I'm not sure. I'm a big fan of, of when PCs enter a store and they want to haggle. Not yet. Because the flavor is not there yet. Because the, the gameplay, like... it's, it's not built for this. There's no rules or character specialties or things that make you better at, you know, buying or other than, like, maybe odd persuasion checks, which are just entirely related to skill, right? And that is only comes with experience. I mean, most players I play with don't even consider trying to barter or haggle or steal or swindle or yeah. anything. Well, and I, there are kind of some rules for how persuasion and deception checks work, right? Um, and I think that, that again, if you, maybe if you gamify the shop, so it's not just, it's not just player versus DM in terms of, you know, some sort of RP back and forth haggle over pretend. It could be a little bit of that. I mean, but you could, you you could create, you could create a table for the shopkeeper and it's like, okay, depending on, you know, how good your, your your little role play spiel is where where it starts you on this table and then based on your role whether that affects the price up or down and that's it the idea that he charges you more if you don't do very well it's like oh you're trying to pull a fast one on me now it's 500 you know did i say 400 now it's 500 try it again it'll be 600 and you'd be like okay but then of course what happens what's prevent the party from going murder hobo on I mean, I, I mean, where is this shop in the middle of nowhere? We're in a town, right? What does prison feel oh, like? Yeah, we How talked, all your we talked about this the other day about, feel like? about why long dungeon exploration needs like a shop like in the middle of the dungeon somewhere. Right. You come across and some this little like rock gnome <laughs> slides open this door that you hadn't seen. It's like, hey guys, come on in. And you're like, what? This is like a shop in the middle of this dungeon? What's this doing down here? Um, mm. And how fun and exciting that would be too. 
in the middle of a really long dungeon, be able to restock and resupply. It'd be funny too if like you'd lost like things along the way and suddenly you find them all for sale again in the shop. You're like, hey, wait a second. I know this lantern. This is our lantern. Hold on. I, I want to get to the point in my game where my players are so in need of money that they're considering selling their magic items or, I, or just weapons or things that they've got because yeah. they're like, oof, I mean, I need this and it's good, but you know what's well, better? You know, keeping up this whatever or keeping our keep or my ideals, right? Yeah. The sacrificing of material wealth for whatever my ideal or thing that makes me human or the reason I adventure, right? I feel like that's the story I want to tell. Yeah, and that is cool. I mean, I... This idea sort of started before Christmas where I had a campaign that kind of wrapped up. And in our sort of final fights, the DM was still handing out all the treasure from the big bosses we were killing. And there was a ton of it. We were to a point where everybody had um, every attunement slot filled. And it was sort of like going, eh, would I have this one over that one? No, no. And like, and so suddenly we have this, this surplus, this pile of magic items mm. that we can't even use. We're just like sitting in the bag of holding you know like eh, whatever um and yeah wh- wh- where can we sell these can we we and we started thinking well could we trade them in could we you know if we had found the perfect magic shop that could you know do whatever can we dump a bunch of these and get one really super special thing that we want or things like that um and that stuff also though that did occur to me at that point that just takes up t- so much time at the table um if you do get to a situation like that Try to see if the party can do it, uh, you know, outside of the, of table time. Um, do it via messaging or, you know, some sort of maybe extra session where they all like get on a video call together or, or just whatever. And they negotiate it over, over text even or whatever that they can decide, you know, what they want to sell, what they want to do. And then you as a DM can give them a price tag on it and then tell them, you know, they can ask what's available and what's not. Yeah, I mean, I have just to do that between get, sessions with players. Yeah, right? and then just and campaign. just sort of let some of that that boring math kind of happen instead of gameplay. Yeah, I mean, what you do to make it interesting is have unreliable dealers, right? Sure. Is you give personality to these people that they're buying from, right? And suddenly it's not so simple as just trying to purchase a, a, a hammer from your local shopkeep. Now the local shopkeep is concerned about reputation or is you know not maybe they're low on hammers and they're not quite sure if you're should i spend one on you should i give one of them to you or or things that like you can exploit about them or they seem maybe a little off or a little crazy in some ways and yeah and that interaction is now with a person and not with the dm right it's not interfacing with the shop menu panel in the video game but talking to the unreliable shopkeep who has trinkets all around or barely anything in the shop and you're like oof you know What's this? What's the next shop gonna be like? You know, maybe we should just go. I don't really know this place. Let's go back to a neighborhood I understand. You know. Well, and, and when you do Curse of Strahd and you end up in Barovia, there are no good shops. The shops well, yeah, only okay, not, sell old and crappy sure. things. Not, not well. Again, how quality are the items? But also how. You know, not every shopkeep needs to be a mean, grumpy, old, stodgy. No, no like that's some of true. them are whimsical. Some of them are. I mean, I've seen like a million tables out there for how to make more. Di- I mean, we again go back to our episode about how to make more diverse NPCs that aren't just sure. like think about. Probably an NPC has a goal as well. You know, they have don't need to worry about necessarily bonds or ideals necess- or like um, 
I mean, maybe flaws for sure, personality traits, little funny quirks about them. Um, but certainly, like, make them feel human or whatever race they are or whatever, like, something that makes sense, makes them stand out. Or, or go the other way with it and have them, like, have such a big emporium and every item in the emporium has got, like, a little magical glyph on it. And then the storekeep is simply just there scanning the little glyphed items across this sort of magical uh, reader and uh, and on this this scroll the itemized total is sort of appearing and they're just like this it's just boring for them they just like beep 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 well, beep, beep the character. scan all your stuff they're and like it's a, like whatever man they're like a store clerk it comes to 753 GP like do you want to put something back I don't care but like you're holding up other people in line sure. there's some grumpy dwarf behind you going I'm trying to get my new Warhammer Get it's out really of the way. full on magic shop that's not terrible I mean um, the thing I do with that character then is can I have them maybe notice that same shopkeep smoking outside of the shop later in the day and they're looking suspicious <laughs> in an in the alley alleyway and, behind it or like, something like that and, and they're like hey do you want to buy something out the back it's mm. like hey I know. sorry about earlier you know it's like um, or if one of the players is like a bard or someone maybe a bit younger or cooler that the the person might get along with a little bit more maybe there is a little bit more friendly a little less cold stone mm. exterior to it um, it's like yeah i'm for an apprentice for this wizard man but he just i'm just i'm here all day i'm not learning anything you know or, or things like that um to give him i mean yeah turn that boring whatever npc into something else and then of course um i mean imagine a store like that what's the security looking like i imagine gargoyles flying around or things like that right what about um, what about players? Hire, what about hiring hirelings? Hirelings, uh, I've never been a fan, or maybe I've just never really tried doing hirelings in my game. Um, besides to sort of tell a story point, like a DM NPC, for example, where they aren't just a hireling, but they are an ally of the party that aids them in their adventure, and then at some point leaves them or dies. Um, or someone that hires them and goes on the adventure with them is typically what happens. Um, that the party is pretty self-competent that they really don't need to hire anyone else. Um, and they don't have them really. The well, that's just it with 5e. To. Everybody's like a, like a hero, but. Sure. We like, don't need to hire people. We do, do I have somebody to carry my lance for me from a knight? I guess we don't, right? I mean, even things like we almost never really think about steeds unless you're like actually considering like a mounted combatant cavalier or paladin or whatever it might be it but almost I never comes you, up though right we, we since you and i have started playing in a game where i play a character that doesn't really do much in the way of damage each round mm. they're always available to be picking up your character's oh yeah bow and arrow when you suddenly drop it and draw two weapons instead um and you know running off into the fray and and i always thought yeah i mean hiring a squire to follow you around and pick up your gear as you drop it is always handy but of course, you got to protect your squire so they don't get, you know, squashed by mm. the giant or whatever. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, I I don't know if I consider it for my next campaign, but I think it's certainly an interesting idea. But like, where would you even price hirelings at? You know, like per hour, per adventure. Well, again, the older a single fixed rate. The older, older, older editions of things. Um, I went back and I I was trying to find it. It took me a little while. The uh, I had this memory from the what we called like the basic rules, like before Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. There was like the red box, the blue box, the green box. The, the blue box was the expert rules in the end. And that sort of was levels 5 to 15. 
And the way that kind of the game game kind of worked at that point was when you got to level 10, you were you were suddenly then able to well, I mean you could do it before level 10, but you could that's when you could start doing things like building a stronghold or a hideout or whatever. And they started to give you prices for all sorts of other things you could hire. Like if you, if you needed for your castle, if you needed a, um, you know, guards or if you needed, um, they also think you could even pay sages. Sages cost you uh, 2000 gold pieces a month. And I sort of think, you know, that's a good gig. 2000 gold pieces a month is not bad probably better than some low-level adventures all the time flies when you're adventuring like seriously the amount Uh, you get done in like a matter of days is just ridiculous but yeah it's sort of fun idea that you could you could hire alchemists for a thousand gold a month or armors for a hundred gold a month animal trainers for 500 gold a month that's kind of fun like hey let's train up a bunch of tigers or something i don't know um but yeah they had all sorts of different ones engineers spies spies seemed like they were 500 plus gp permission permission is that permission. paying per month per week per day permission everybody per else hour. was per month they were uh if you hired seamen you could get a a rower for two gold pieces per month a okay. sailor for 10 and a captain hey, for 250 i mean there's another use for gold right passage to yeah. different places where you're maybe not supposed to go especially if there's like a party on the run kind of dynamic and they're maybe not so yeah. liked by the local authorities then suddenly money or favor being used to well, you know exactly and or if your game places. if your game has got people who have teleportation circles uh and that sure. can ban people around that those services could be offered at a cost you could have the whole party have to pay money to teleport somewhere mm-hmm. um and you can either go at the 100 gp rate and it's sort of like you have a caster who's kind of knows where you're going and maybe it gets it right or you can pay the 500 gp like first class and definitely get a caster who right. knows exactly where you want to be and sure. can land and you right there you look at that idea of the teleport circle spell and how it can kind of range from yeah. kind of close to kind of not so close kind of not so close and, and depending maybe whether more you spend, all right we're doing the budget version and you can end up a long ways off course and it's a couple more days right <laughs> You're like, but it, hey at we're least it's not a couple months. away than when we started that would be terrible i mean that's the i mean the, the chance there's like a chance for teleport to go really wrong and like send you into like the middle of a mountain and you just get crushed and thrown out um which is never fun um much damage you could accidentally kill yourself with that sort of thing um or kill a party like tpk potential there if you're just like bad luck is whew, yikes well, they did it to themselves. They should have. They had. I gave oh, them sure. ten thousand gold, they and they, they were all stingy yeah. with it. They took the cheap out, and it. Cost and now they're all lives. dead. Yeah. And that, there's your lesson. Don't cheap out on that. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope, folks, that gives you a few ideas, maybe on, on economics. It's, it's a tricky part of the game mm. to implement and put into play, but I think it it naturally comes with the game as soon as you start handing out gold. So. Yeah. I think also look at adventures, especially if you are running stuff out of a book where it sometimes just says a gold piece value to, you know, to what you've said, Jack, that there's, it might be better to know what the party wants, particularly in terms of what would make their, their character great as a magic item. 
Um, and maybe you give them a piece of that magic item or part of it or something like that's got a partial gold value close to it. And then over time they assemble it, put it together as they earn, you know, as they find more and more parts of the treasure. Um, it's, I find, I think those sorts of things take a whole step out of the game because then you don't have to take cash and go and convert it someplace, mm. but instead you're actually finding the magic that you want as you go. Exactly. And it sort of streamlines your game a little bit more, Definitely. but, uh, you know, on the other hand, it can be really super fun as a party to have be sitting on loads and loads of cash. It changes the confidence level that your players have when suddenly, you know, they're invited to go and attack or, you know, to go and defend the village against, you know, some sort of, you know, troll invasion or whatever. Mm. Then we're thinking, oh, yeah, we're like, we're super rich heroes. Whatever, we go do this. Sure. It's, it's interesting how being like loaded sometimes will uh, encourage your party to be also a bit cocky, which mm. that can be fun. Yeah, for sure. All right. Thanks for joining in and listening on how to maybe manage money a little bit more, uh, how to do economics in D&D, just a little bit, uh, if you felt you've maybe over-priced yeah. or underpriced or really not sure where things are at. Yeah, well, you um, can always charge them more for everything if, they, if you think they've got too yeah. much money. Hey, inflation is a real thing. Well, and just being able to recognize that, you know, there are no set prices. And if you look suddenly like, hey, you got money, then yeah, people, people are going to hit you up sure. for it. Or now a new time for story event. What if a new tyrant comes in and suddenly sure. taxes are up and adventurers yeah. do not get exempt from this tax? Pay up, you know, yeah. or things like when that. I, I think that you can, it's pretty easy to throw a mechanic in there that, that, adds a sort of dwindling effect to their cash hoard just from, you know, instead of having to roll for every petty, every pickpocket or everything like that, you can just sort of say, look, yeah, you can make a couple of uh, perception checks, you know, in advance as a party and depending how many total successes or failures you get, it'll affect like your rate, uh, your sort of burn rate on your hoard. And, and that it's, you know, you got to spend it quick or it's going to just get, it's going to start to evaporate, mm. be that through taxes or being pilfered or whatever. Um, it sort of maybe give the party a real quick sort of like, okay, well then let's just, let's just buy this thing with it or let's just get that or let's just give it all to the, to the orphanage or whatever. Mm. And, uh, and then, yeah, problem solved. No more giant heap of leftover Christmas presents. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, Many different solutions. Hopefully, this helps you out just a little bit. Um, there's plenty of good reading, in, even in old and new editions, on how to run run things like strongholds and keeps and um, yeah, not armies. As much, not and, as much in these ones. The older stuff definitely like has stuff it. For sure, though. Uh, it and, exists. And yeah, if you want to get into hiring an army and marching across the land to... Play Warhammer. Stuff. Don't play d <laughs> If you want to march an army, play Warhammer. Or go back and look at those old basic edition. The companion set has got lots of great rules for mass combat. Um, and uh, yeah, I was having a look at those again today. Still, yeah. think, still think that's some fun gaming back then. True. All right, folks. Thanks for listening to us ramble a little bit. I hope you had a nice relaxing break and we're back into 2022. We'll see you next week with some more 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons stuff. All right. See you later, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Thank you.